0: Hi, I'm Anna Marie Cox, and I have lived to see my destiny spelled out in a constellation of cheap chrome.
1: Hi, I'm Daniel Dresner, and to be perfectly honest, I do have a morbid fear of dying.
0: <laughs> Welcome to Space the Nation, where we look at science fiction through the lens of
1: private orders
0: and deindividuation theory. Today, we'll be talking about William Gibson's Neuromancer, which maybe we've even belatedly gotten to, Dan. Like. It is a touchstone.
1: It is. I mean, this is a canon fodder episode, and yeah. this is about as canon as you can get in terms of canon. Perhaps would be yeah. the way to put it in yeah. our lifetime, at least. Yeah,
0: it is probably one of the most influential books of our lifetime period. Yes. Like That's it, a good it, way of putting doing it. the research for this. I. I mean, you already know that, but we'll talk about it some more when we get to we get to that place in the script. Dan, I should continue reading the script. Anna, did uh, you have
1: to <laughs> did you have to jack in and like go and do a deep dive on this one? I I you know, that, that I could imagine. I again. jacked
0: in yeah. and I surfed
1: there you the go. internet. Yeah. Which
0: we can thank William Gibson. Yep. For that particular, you went into
1: cyberspace, is what you're saying. I went
0: into cyberspace. Okay. You can get NeuroMancer at Amazon, Dan, or you can go to bookshop.org and support your local Mm -hmm. indie bookstores. Or you could actually Uh, physically
1: go into a bookstore and see if they have it, because this is one of those classics that even like boutique bookstores might actually have like on hand. So you might want to check there.
0: You could buy a first edition, which goes for around eight hundred to twenty thousand dollars, depending on the actual. Oh, damn. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Depending exactly. on sort of which printing and, and whatnot.
1: Mm-hmm. In the
0: next few weeks, actually next week, we're talking about Yellow Jackets, the last mm-hmm. uh, half of the season. Yes. Neither of us have finished it yet. So no. that'll be exciting. After that, we'll be talking about Nimona.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yes, Dan? I yes? believe
1: so. And, you know, no. on my uh, as per my daughter's recommendation. So I'm looking forward to that, actually.
0: And she's not even on the Discord. She's not even a patron.
1: She is not a patron. No, no. It it, would, it seems a little weird, Otta, for me to tell my daughter, "Hey, do you want to become a patron?" I mean, that is, that just feels wrong. I, I, I can't lie. It, it, you know. But
0: I, and uh, she maybe we could give her um, a free membership to the Discord, though. If she really
1: maybe she might like the Discord. It. It's true.
0: No, would that be weird? That would be. Weird.
1: It could be a little weird, actually. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: I'll 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 feel her out on
1: this stuff. We'll we'll see how it goes. Yeah.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, speaking of the Discord and becoming a patron, yes. that is something that you should do. You, dear listener, you should do, if you haven't already, we are at patreon.com Space the Nation. It is a fun place to be, our Discord, and you only get to be there if you are a patron. Correct. Patronage has other benefits, including merch. Mm-hmm. Which I swear actually does exist. So there is a version of merch that you get from Patreon, Mm -hmm. which is just our logo on a t-shirt or a coffee mug or whatever. Mm -hmm. The expansion of merch into funny things we say and inside (laughs) jokes like the other podcasts have has been a journey. That's just been a journey for me personally. But
1: part of the perks of patronage is you get to hear about this journey, I think. Yes, that is right. Yes. Yes.
0: That is right. If you are already a patron or cannot become a patron for whatever reason, you can support the show by rating and reviewing us wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Tell your friends, tell your neighbors. And you can also-
0: Speaking of also, telling friends and neighbors. Yeah, you can Dan. also
1: try to reach us on social media, which yeah. is a complicated, treacherous world nowadays. There's no other way to put <laughs> <laughs> almost as conscious, almost as treacherous as the Matrix. But, but Anna, how is Blue Sky treating you? Because I have yet to be invited. No, I'm, I'm fine about that, though. It's, it, I'm really happy for you.
0: <laughs> I need to be more active on it so that I can get an invitation to give you. Yeah, you I fucking was active well do. on it. No. <laughs> <laughs> it. was active on it. Like for the first week, it was like really exciting. I yeah. believe Mr. Gibson is on Blue Sky. Oh, and perhaps we'll talk more about his Twitter feed later. But like, yeah. for people of a certain age. I think the when William Gibson retweets you feeling
1: <laughs> that is ha- I've had that experience, Anna. Prior to Elon Musk's Twitter, at, at various points, William Gibson retweeted me, and I remember the first time that happened. I was like, "That's not the William Gibson." I'm sure there's some like investment banker named William Gibson. I was like, "No, it's the fucking William Gibson. It's the guy who wrote Neuromancer." I was, I was, I was pretty freaked out.
0: But. He seems like a decent sort. He does. Yeah. I, we will talk a little more about his politics later. Okay. I am also on Instagram, and yes. you are on Mastodon and Post. Mm-hmm. And Dan, you mm-hmm. also do this other thing. I, it's, it's called Substack. Oh, uh, Substack, yes. that's right. Yep, it's a I newsletter. Got a Tell us about your newsletter. It's- should people subscribe it's a to your newsletter, Dan?
1: You should subscribe to my <laughs> newsletter. You know why? Cuz it's really fucking entertaining, Anna. It's a it, you know, it's it's more my day job stuff about international relations and foreign policy and occasionally just, you know, jabs it, at uh, the political scene. It's called Dresner's World. Anna, I believe you have a website. It's called http://www.annmariecox.com. Slash slash <laughs> Am I correct in that?
0: Yes, if you want to surf the web. <laughs> You can jack in.
1: We are all in cyberspace. I mean, this is clearly what we're doing. Yeah.
0: And also one of the things you can do if you jack into the interweb, (laughs) go to one of my writing workshops. (laughs) Oh, that is Which which takes place in virtual space. Virtual reality. Virtual reality. And I I do writing workshops that are for people who want to be writers, of course, but also they are kind of geared to people who have a thing they want to write about. (laughs) I would say, like a personal experience they want to write about. Right. It, 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 the mm-hmm. course sprang out of volunteer work I was you doing. You cater
1: to a particular kind of a a. An experience. A I don't of... want to call it yes. like a
0: trauma. <laughs> no. No, no. No, no, But it's no. people processing things, people who had had like a pivotal experience in their life. I started teaching it. Inflection points. There you one. go. But I did start teaching it at a rehab. Ah, okay. And so that's the <laughs> genesis oh. of it. But- yeah. That's not all. It is, and there have been people taking it who are processing job changes, diagnoses, divorces, children, all that stuff. So it's for people who are processing something and processing. Dan, that's a thing computers do.
1: That's a tech term, Anna.
0: I believe. Yes. But before we talk more about that, Dan, how are you?
1: I'm doing well, Anna. You know, we uh, it's we had our commencement ceremony. I got to, yes, exactly. Fletcher and and Tufts had their commencement ceremonies. I got to hood a doctoral student of mine. So that sounds obscene, dad. uh, It is not obscene. (laughs) It is not. It is not. It is when someone gets their PhD, what you get is this hood that you can put on top of your academic regalia. And, you know, your PhD advisor is supposed to hood you. Now, it's not obscene, but it's a little more complicated than most people realize.
0: Just the logistics because when you of it. To-
1: Yes, because literally you have to stand behind the person and put the hood over them, but they're wearing that kind of poofy hat called a tam. And if you're like casually assuming, oh, this is going to be easy, you could end up maiming someone potentially, which I did not. I crushed the, the hooding. And this was tricky because my student, Lydia Sizer, congratulations, Lydia, had two small children with her on the stage and she was holding one of them. who was a baby. So like, it's tricky. You got to hood the, the the candidate, but you got to make sure you're not asphyxiating the child. It's, it's a Did, more
0: complicated. And endeavor. you didn't rehearse it.
1: Did not rehearse it. No, 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 no. Got to do this live. There were four students that were hooded at our ceremony. I was the only one who got it on the first try. I, I was a little pleased. But, yep.
0: Weird flex, but okay.
1: I know. Weird flex, but it, that,
0: surprisingly, <laughs> I
1: care about this. So, like, you know, why should I be your advisor? Because I can hood you competently I the first time. Just don't.
0: Just stop saying it. Just. <laughs> just don't say it anymore, Dan.
1: How are you, Anna?
0: I am. Actually, pretty good, Dan. I want to report a victory of my own, uh, oh, which is that my dog is dozing in his crate. Yay! It's been a it's been another journey for me. Oh, well, so many journeys I've had in the past few years. <laughs> but actually, my reactive doggy was crate trained for a long time, and then pandemic came, and why crate him? You know? like
1: Oh, I see. Okay.
0: So we had to sort mm-hmm. of re-crate train him, and he's a very nervous boy, and so... It took a little while, but now he appears to be at home. So oh, I'm gonna try not to make a, too big of a deal about it because he could probably sense that energy and then immediately get out. But <laughs> fair so enough. So things are going things are actually going well with Exley. He we are untraining him, which I may have talked about before. We're trying to get him yes. not used uh, to not associate training with punishment. Good. Which, which is good for sounds excellent. for yes dogs and humans also. And have you
1: thought about putting sacks of venom like in his
0: nervous system, because I
1: hear that incentivizes people. That's all I'm saying. You
0: want to talk about this book, and I do too. Let's let's transition (laughs) smoothly into our discussion of Neuromancer, beginning with, this is cannon fodder, Dan. Why did we choose this for cannon fodder?
1: It's not only cannon fodder time. I think this you know, is the rare piece of science fiction that I actually devoured when I was young. So I did not read a ton of sci-fi growing up. I obviously watched Star Trek, watched Star Wars, watched a lot. I didn't read a ton of sci-fi, but I read this book. And I'm not going to lie, when you suggested it, I had some trepidation about rereading it because there was the question of, did this thing that I, that, that teenage me loved age well, or do, will it turn out to be badly dated? And... I don't know if there's a word for this on it, but like this was actually better than I was expecting it to be on the reread. Like I was actually yeah, blown away. Yet I
0: again. really liked it. I was because yeah. I was surprised I liked it as much as I did because I've read some of his more recent stuff, which I did not mm-hmm. enjoy as much. I enjoyed, but it yeah. didn't strike me in the visceral way that this did. So right. completely enjoyable read. It does stand up. I and. I told you that I had read it, and it turns out I had not read it. I think I confused ah. it with Snow Crash, which is sort of understandable, although- both- That, I think, is the sequel to this? Oh, there's, no, there's it's written by someone else. Pro-
1: <laughs> oh, it is? Oh, Jesus.
0: <laughs> I was going to say, I think Neil Stevenson and William Gibson would both be insulted by the oh, fact God. that I confused the two, although they're both about a uh, cyberpunk. And right.
1: So this is part, this is the first book of a trilogy. Yeah. I think another one is Mona Lisa Overdrive. And I can't. It was yeah. Burning Chrome, which the, which the I am now.
0: Yeah. I think I may read. I like to shotgun, yeah. you know, series. So, yeah, uh, I may, yeah. I may jump jump into those right away. In my defense you know what, you, for having not read it, Dan, yeah. I was right. working at Wired Magazine in the early <laughs> 90s. And yeah. cyber. We will probably talk about cyberpunks. The IRL is like cyberpunks. The, and yeah, they're okay. annoying fucks. And-
1: <laughs> <laughs> In other words, you can read about it. You're having to read cyberpunk, actually interacting with cyberpunk. You want to jack out. As I do
0: want to jack out. They're like, it's like, yep. it's nerds with toxic masculinity, which is just a terrible, Fair. terrible combination.
1: Fair. Fair. So
0: I was not the really of- into that particular subculture part. I will say that the phenomenon of loving something as much as you did when you were a kid is a really mm-hmm. delicious one. And yeah. specifically in sci-fi, I would say that happens for me every time I watch Blade Runner. Like, it is which this, really that good.
1: <laughs> which, by the way, this novel reminded me a lot yes. of. I actually am legit curious how much Gibson, whether Gibson even saw Blade Runner. Or like, I have to wonder how much that influenced him in the writing of the book.
0: It is mentioned in the write-ups that I looked at I don't mm-hmm. know if it's specifically like he saw it and was influenced by it, but it's in the mix. It, it's definitely. Yeah. I mean, mix. you have
1: like this. This book came out in 84. Blade Runner, I think, came out in 81 or 82. Yeah. I have to. Th- I mean, look this way. There were times reading this where like I'm literally picturing, you know, the the scenes from Blade Runner. And, and it was I mean, in it, it has the same vibe. The popular
0: to culture sort of, yeah. you know, uh, amorphous like stew that yeah. That we are all swimming in. Uh, Right. So I do want to talk a little bit more about just how much this book has influenced culture. Please do. It is the first book to win the Nebula, the Hugo and the Philip K. Dick Awards. Mm. He did coin the word cyberspace, which we've been sort of using in a hopefully funny way. Uh, Mm. And he invented the trope of cyberspace and mm. the way that you might navigate it he termed surfing he also invented the image and the trope of the cyberpunk right and as a digital cowboy you know a gun for hire mm-hmm. he also coined the term the matrix which i understand is a influential term of some cultural import. i
1: believe we've discussed you know in in, in other episodes, something about the matrix yes. and whether it's influential yeah
0: and yeah. he has influenced I guess more than a generation of writers, I was reminded of the old joke that uh, Mm -hmm. the first Velvet Underground album only sold 10,000 copies, but everyone who bought it started a band. (laughs) Yes. Uh, This book sold hundreds of thousands of copies, and everyone who read it tried to write a science fiction novel. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs>
1: Tried to write like a cyberpunk novel. Yeah. Yes. yes. Absolutely. Mean, yeah, Absolutely. It,
0: it really ignited the imagination of a certain kind of person. Um, and and yeah. actually the imagination of a bunch of different people, I would say. And his imagination of cyberspace, the, the, the world he gave us, is one mm-hmm. of those things. We talked about this when we talked about The Matrix. It wound up helping to create the thing that we experience today.
1: Yes. Absolutely. Which is interesting
0: yeah. considering who wrote it and his experience with technology. Hmm. He, he himself says that the technology he knew the most about is the worst represented in the book, which is to say <laughs> phones.
1: Yes. There is Although it, sequence it There's a really cool payphones. scene. It's a,
0: it's a cool sequence yeah. and it's it actually cool very scene. noir yeah. in a way. Like, yeah,
1: exactly. Um,
0: the whole thing's very noir, but he did not predict cell phones. Basically, right. I mean, yeah. And so he he said, like, so the stuff he knew the best, he did the worst predicting and the stuff that he just made up. Pretty right. much got exactly I'm right. Th-
1: I think Gibson is actually too hard on himself. So in the edition that I have, you know, there's a foreword by Gibson talking about what he got right and what he got wrong. Yeah. And he's like flagellating himself about the fact that he didn't quite get cell phones and he references diskettes and, and things like that. And yeah, that's all true. But the thing I was struck by reading it is how little that mattered like there's I agree. very you know it it there's like an, an occasional reference to like printer paper or the to a funny. Disc- I did laugh yeah, actually the, paper, the paper's funny yeah <laughs> but it's not actually all that much the, the great thing about this novel is that it's not like a Tom Clancy style novel in the sense of like he's really deep into the tech what he captures is the vibe of the tech As you say, he like, he captures what the vibe of cyberspace is of what jacking in is like. And really that's the more important thing than the actual tech stuff
0: and the experience of using it.
1: Yeah. Which,
0: so I love genre fiction in general, right? Uh, Mm -hmm. And I've even done my share of Tom Clancy reading Uh, and I I read thrillers and that I've so little patience for fight scenes and for chase scenes in books. Like, right, I just generally yeah. just kind of like, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, like I just to get to goes, get to the yeah. end. Like I almost literally just skim it to make sure that I'm not gonna yeah. miss anything. Mm-hmm. I read every word of the scenes in this that involved, like not really fighting, right? No. It, it, and not really chase, not IRL chasing, but mm-hmm. he captures the the thrill and the speed of a yeah. chase. In talking about yeah. someone fucking typing. <laughs> like- <laughs> <laughs>
1: yes. Can you imagine the typing scenes if this ever gets Well, it's into not a really
0: typing. It. I guess it's hooked up to you know, the electrodes are hooked up to it. But mind, you know but, what I
1: mean. Yeah. yeah but
0: yeah. none of it is real. But the scene where he breaks into Straylight is very yeah. exciting.
1: Yeah. Although, like, there is some real stuff. Like, is one of the clever devices Gibson has in this novel is that, and particularly in the second half, is that he cuts between case trying to hack into what he's doing but then he can flip and you see Molly physically trying to do what you know and that actually is action sequences. And so it, it's a talking about of the plot
0: two. and I want to say
1: yeah, we, have to, right. we have to we have to we have to
0: do some more stuff before we talk about We've the got plot. More People stuff might be excited right. and clearly we're excited. Yep. The last yep. thing yep. I want to say in terms of its influence is mm-hmm. the coolness of it. Yeah. He made this thing that would be easy to look at as a bunch of nerds sitting around, eating mom's cooking, sitting in the basement. Yep. He made it seem fucking cool. Yes. Which it we took know is not an, true, an- but you know. <laughs> yeah.
1: It took until South Park when they did the World of Warcraft episode to realize, oh, wait, if they're just sitting on their computers all day, they're not going to be able to do that much. But yes, yes.
0: And yet at the same time, like there is a coolness to it that I think is good and bad. Mm -hmm. I think I will later talk about the commodification of all these things. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Hint, hint, foreshadow. But you definitely did it. Definitely made it seem cool. Yep.
1: Okay, let us get to, will this podcast ruin it for you? Should you read this book before you listen to this podcast? And my answer is no, I don't think so. I don't think it'll ruin it all that much. Um, Neuromancer, there is plot, but I think this is a novel that is outstanding way less because of its plot than because of the mood, because of the writing, because of Gibson's perhaps accidental, but nonetheless near perfect fucking clairvoyance about the future. Yeah. Um, it, it is remarkable reading this, as I said, you're thinking, okay, this is a 40-year-old novel. Is it going to hold up? It holds up so goddamn well.
0: Yeah. So well. It really does. Yeah. I think that if I were brand new to this, if I hadn't mm-hmm. read it, yeah. I. if you, I guess I should put it, if you, dear listener, if you have <laughs> not read it and this is completely new to you, perhaps pause us. Yes. The book is not but let's long. Put it... mm-hmm. There are some interesting double crosses, I would say, mm-hmm. that you don't necessarily yes. see coming. True, and and it might be worth it to go ahead and read it first. But you know, if you're excited to have us, you know, talk about this, or if you read it a long time ago, whatever, like,
1: the, yeah, I was saying, if you read the, this the once, the point, as you said, right, if you have read this once. You're, this is not going to ruin it for you. That said, I would also suggest read it again because there are details that I'd forgotten about Yeah. reading it back in the day that reading it now, it's like, oh, well done. Speaking well done.
0: of rereading, we already talked yes. about our previous experience a little bit. Uh, right. I will say that one of the reasons why I associate this book so much with working at Wired, besides obvious reasons, is that while I was there, he was a cover boy on, for Wired oh. for his a uh, travel log of going to Singapore, which he very memorably called Disneyland with the death penalty. <laughs> and that phrase is one of those that when I heard it, I was like, that's what good, right? Like mm-hmm. nailed it. And that's the kind of thing. And you and I have talked about when you're writing, when you come up with something and you're like, did it. Got that's it. it.
1: Yep. Yep. Like
0: yep. I imagine that's one of those phrases, you know, yes. I really literally have thought about it probably, you know, once, At mm. least once a year so. And whenever Singapore comes up, I think Disneyland with the death penalty. <laughs> <Thunder. laughs> Disneyland with the death
1: penalty. Yeah, so my memory of reading – my memory of this is like I specifically remember reading it in high school. In fact, when I think about this book, I think about my high school library where I would be reading the book and also checking out my crush Jenny R. Carey at the time and then reading – mostly reading the book and then realizing I need some game to actually be able to talk to <laughs> Jenny R. Carey and I didn't have any <laughs> – that's a long separate story that we don't need to impress
0: her with your computer skills.
1: Shockingly. No. Uh, And, and she was probably not in a neuromancer at the time, but she was a very sweet and, you know, we were friends eventually. So that was okay. That is nice, Dan,
0: (laughs) Dan, the story behind the story. I'm curious.
1: Yes. Anna, I want to hear everything. I confess the thing I particularly want to know, because this is a really fascinating thing. You know, there's a lot of talk in, in, the business, as it were, about how <laughs> like so much, you know, of what is being made now is based on old IP for a variety of reasons. Like that's why they may- remade Dune and so on and so forth. And honestly, given this novel, I'm cu- my the fundamental question I have is why has no one filmed Neuromancer in one way or the other?
0: I think that's a really good question, especially considering that two of the properties deemed unfilmable. By mm-hmm. you know, experts, uh, Dune yeah. and Foundation have both have been been turned yeah. into pretty interesting, right? If nothing else, definitely movies. in the case of
1: Foundation, way more interesting than the actual source. Exactly. There, so yeah.
0: It, whereas this book it seems pretty filmable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like it's yes. it may take place in cyberspace, but he does a great mm-hmm. job of describing what it might look like. And it's very, all of his descriptions, I mean, they're, I mean, almost purple prose. They're so vivid. Like you could almost find fault with them because he (laughs) he really like, and some of the critiques I've read of the book do say he gets carried away in some of his metaphors and whatnot. Although I fucking loved it. Uh, (laughs) But there could be a whole other podcast about the journey that this book has had. So many journeys I'm, I'm mentioning today. It involves, among other people, Timothy Leary. The wife of a Beverly Hills plastic surgeon, the screenwriter for John Belushi's biopic Devo, William Burroughs, and two cabana boys from Beverly Hills Hotel who bought the rights to Neuromancer for $100,000 in 1986 because they couldn't get the rights to Buckaroo Bonsai, which was their (laughs) initial draw (laughs) to filmmaking. Yes. Uh, By the way, <laughs>
1: listeners, if you recall, not Anna's favorite film. <laughs>
0: not my favorite. Apparently their favorite film. And as uh, Cabana Boys at Beverly Hills Hotel, they thought they could break into movies. Their first idea. And they central. had six
1: figures in cash lying around? Well, like, that's I, I, where the
0: Beverly Hills plastic surgeon comes in.
1: Uh, okay. All right. Yes. This is a
0: very lengthy yeah. post at a blog called The Digital Antiquarian that mm-hmm. I have cribbed a bit here, and I will try to remember to put in our show notes. It is uh, in our Discord. Our listener, Carrie, posted it, and I found it- uh, Thank you, Carrie. Very amusing and educational. There were about 10 years of attempts with that crowd, and mm-hmm. uh, there's a piece of archaeology from that era, which is they made a what they called a sizzle reel- Uh, Mm -hmm. trying to entice studios into making the movie, it is not a sizzle reel. (laughs) It is like (laughs) there's not a lot of sizzle, not a lot of sizzle. It includes William Gibson and Timothy Leary and Gibson's agent all saying what a great movie it would make, like just talking heads, being like, This would make a great movie.
1: That's not how a sizzle reel works. I don't I know very little about Hollywood Anna. I'm pretty sure that's not the way a sizzle reel is I was to work,
0: recently though. involved in a sizzle reel. Were you? Yeah. It's a project I cannot talk about. I think I've alluded to it. Oh before. yes,
1: no, no, I'm sorry. Now I do. Uh, know what
0: the and yeah, is. that's yes. not that's not how it works. Very few yep. talking heads in a sizzle reel, hopefully. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dan, you might also wonder why there hasn't been a video game based on neuromancy. What? Uh, ha- what? Well has there been a video there game? There was No There was uh, okay. it died a, a, a sh- uh, you know, had a very brief life, died an early death. Okay. This is actually where Timothy Leary gets involved.
1: Uh, I, as, as what he does. Yes. I,
0: I actually remember this period of Timothy Leary's life because of my exposure to the wired crowd. Mm-hmm. He got really into cyberspace towards the end of his life, which you may recall as well. Mm-hmm. He compared it to drugs, alternate reality.
1: Like, oh yeah. He loved
0: the surfing meta- metaphor. He loved the book Neuromancer. And he thought the yep. big dream of Neuromancer was to make it into a video game. Like fuck movie, he wants to make it into a video game. Hmm. And he this is where Devo gets involved too, and William Burroughs also lined up to work on the video game. Not kidding. Helmut Newton, the photographer, uh Keith Herring, and David Byrne were all supposed Good to be God. part of this project. Not shocked it didn't happen. Yeah. It, it does, again, it that says something version about the book. Happen. Another version right. happened, but that version did not happen.
1: But it does say something about the book that those people all were like, yeah, sure. This is worth Lurie it. And Timothy Leary also. Yeah,
0: exactly. uh, yeah, A game did get developed and Devo contributed one song. And uh, <laughs> it used characters from the novel, had some of the places from the novel, some of the concepts from the novel. But anyone who was a fan of the novel probably wouldn't really be happy with it. Uh, yeah. The main character is kind of a loser, among other things. But that mm. digital antiquarian reviewed it, and he says it's it's shockingly prescient. It's very immersive. Okay. It's one of the most content-rich games of its era. It includes, huh. like, going on a – you have to go on a BBS. You have to download pieces of software for your deck. You have to, like, sell things uh, in order to have the finances to make your own deck better and then right. it has levels where at first you're not in cyberspace at all you're on the streets just trying to make connections so i get it like in some ways it was it was like War- world of warcraft it was a whole world right, right? with lots yeah. of different tasks
1: all about leveling up is all about word. leveling
0: up what i find amusing is i cannot remember the name of the company that made it but they sort of had two games out at the same time this one and battle chess and they decided okay. to throw all their weight behind battle chess.
1: Battle chess, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: There have been, of course, numerous other adaptations. There is a graphic novel. There is a hypertext version, which it's that's in Wikipedia. I'm not sure how it hypertext That version. sounds like
1: I could I I could already imagine the person in 1997 coming up with that concept of you know there's these HTML things that I can Yeah. Use
0: it, like, oh, do you on. actually I'm that looking at, so the tech, cool. look at the tech looking at the internet now it's a hypertext and an annotated hypercard version. I remember hypercards. Oh, wow. Um for the Mac. Yeah. Yep. Uh, the video game I mentioned there's a radio play, there's of course a, a unabridged and abridged audiobook and there's an opera also. Uh, Interesting. Yeah, and there may be an Apple TV show, question mark, mm-hmm. raising voice to indicate skepticism. <laughs>
1: <laughs> in theory, what is this Apple show going to have?
0: I don't actually know nothing about it. Oh, um, oh okay. Wait, I sent Miles Teller.
1: Miles Teller, I think. Is Miles Teller is
0: supposed this. to play case. That's the yes. only information I found about it more recent than last year.
1: I'm curious. Although I think thought, that might like-
0: be from last year, too.
1: So here's my question. There's sometimes with classic books in particular, if particularly if they haven't been filmed, in your own brain would you like have you thought about who you would cast for for what particular role?
0: You know what? I wound up thinking a lot about Molly because yeah. there is a weakness to this book. <laughs> no. And it is the portrayal yes. of Molly. It's mm-hmm. In my opinion, it's not okay. terrible. I mean, she's a she's an interesting character. She's a full person, but she is yeah. kind of. She's um, also an archetype in the noir. Yeah, the and also like it. you yeah. know manga come to life, like a yeah yeah. Because I was thinking, how would you like sort of not do, um, carry not do Carrie Moss right? Like.
1: Oh, Carrie Ann Moss. Carrie Ann I mean Moss from like, the Matrix.
0: Okay, yeah. yeah. Someone. I mean, she's great, but like, could you right. do someone who wasn't like hyper sexualized? In that role,
1: do you actually know who I thought of for this? Who Florence Pugh?
0: Okay, she's super sexy, but also not in the way that Molly's kind of portrayed
1: portrayed. in the
0: book. Not the kind of hypersexual, like all, like almost pornographic.
1: Let me put it this way. Florence Pugh can be incredibly super sexy. She wouldn't be in this role is the she way she would, would the
0: toughness I think would come through. Yes. And you could kind exactly. of give her you could give her a texture.
1: Right. It would be more like the Yelena, you know, yeah. like from, from the MCU kind of performance. Some grit. Than, yes. Yeah.
0: Exactly. I like yeah. that. I like that. Okay. I don't know who I'd have play case. Um I mean Miles Teller is as good as any I mean, it's kind of like he should be a little bit of an everyman, right?
1: I, yeah, it's fine. It shouldn't be too hot.
0: I, that's when I saw Miles Chal- no. no, no like, I was like, that's that's actually pretty good because he's not like devastatingly <laughs> handsome. I mean, he's although, obviously you know what the- he's a good looking man, but like, you know, you know, right. Timothee Chalamet. Only- Timothee Chalamet would probably be the wrong call.
1: Oh, see, now I think Timothee Chalamet gorgeous. would be better. I mean, although
0: he could do it, right? Now that I say it right, out loud. Well, yes, yes. like,
1: but no, the other thing is, is like, I don't know. In my mind, Case is scrawny as fuck. And Miles Teller is too jacked to actually... Do that role. I would want someone like in more in the Timothy Chalamet kind of mold, is what I'm saying.
0: Yeah. And Timothy Chalamet could do it. I mean, yeah, yeah. he could be a little grittier and not quite as devastatingly, ethereally right. handsome. I think like,
1: <laughs> wow. Timothy, if you're listening, you have a fan. That's all I'm saying. But I do like the idea. You love Timothy Chalamet. I love Florence Pugh. We've got to make this. I, yeah,
0: we okay. sure. So, yeah. I, I want to yeah. say just a little bit more about the actual like making of this, and not the yep. eventual adaptations.
1: You mean by making the writing of the book? The yes. writing of the book,
0: right? Gibson very influenced by punk. The the I had mm-hmm. always kind of thought the punk and cyberpunk was a like a uh, an Ethos. appropriation, right? And and there wasn't actually much punk there. But apparently, mm-hmm. like he was like a big Joy Division fan and he was inspired by the just fucking do it. Don't worry about it being perfect mm. uh, attitude of punk rock. The Don't necessarily know how to play your instruments. Like just fucking write yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Like he was a classic procrastinator. I think he still kind of struggles with that. And for this book, he just decided. <sighs> the struggle is real. The struggle is real. Uh, he just went yeah. for it. So, hey, everybody, you know, make like the Ramones. Like, just fucking do it. <laughs> it was written on a manual typewriter. Kind of fun fact. That is and wild. And most of the supposedly futuristic slang uh, is cribbed from dope dealers and bikers. Both of his parents died when he was fairly young, and he wound up kind of hitchhiking. Around. He has a very interesting backstory. He hitchhiked around hmm. the country. And also, one of his goals in life was to try every drug ever. Uh, oh so he does know from which he's talking about. And I will say his description of um, drugs is really, they're, they're pretty good. Like <laughs> that
1: tra- tracks. I was going to ask you about that. <laughs> they, yes. they,
0: they track the, when drugs are good. Like he describes <laughs> the, what drugs, when they're good feel like. So fair enough. Yeah.
1: All right, let's move to Chekhov's What's It? Uh, this is the thing that appears in act one that winds up potentially being relevant in act three. Anna, what did you have?
0: I have Chekhov's self-hatred, Anna.
1: <laughs> I think self-loathing, but Self-loathing, yes,
0: yes. you're right. Loathing, slightly different, yeah. but yes. Yeah,
1: yeah, yes, but that's fair. I have Chekhov's Girl Friday because there are two of them in this novel in some ways and it's not a coincidence, I don't
0: Girl think. Girl Friday, I, okay. We can tell them Girl Fridays if you want, sure. Yeah,
1: I, like- or I, not. I, uh, no, I don't think so. No, well, no. maybe- I, It's sort of a cross between the two, I guess. It's weird. It's 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 sort of like faded to disappear. Might be the best way to
0: put it. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> sorry. Not a. Tw- I feel like I'm no twist that the love interest, you know, skedaddles yeah. uh, right. at the end there. But it's a
1: second one to go. So yeah. 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 yeah.
0: Yes. All right, Dan. We finally got into the plot, which we've said there's not much <laughs> of. So uh, let's let's move along. You're the one responsible for giving the jacket blurb. Take a stab yes. at it, please.
1: All right. Welcome to the near future where console cowboys jack into the matrix and live their lives in cyberspace. Case used to be one of those cowboys until he tried to steal from his employer and they fried his nervous system as punishment. Case seems prepared to live out his waning days in Chiba, Japan, engaging in petty criming and in denial that his paramour, Linda Lee, is stealing from him when he gets an intriguing offer. A wealthy client offers to fix his neurochemical problems and let him do the voodoo that he used to do in return for a digital run at an AI called Wintermute. Even more bizarrely, his employer turns out to be Wintermute. Case accepts, and he is joined in his mission by primo bodyguard Molly, blank canvas Armitage, illusionist and fucking psychotic Peter Riviera, and the digitally recombined consciousness of Dixie Flatline, an old mentor of Case's. They crisscross the globe and then go into orbit to penetrate the Villa Straylight, home of the bizarre, inbred, decadent, and heavily medicated Tessier Ashpools. In a complete shock, the run goes somewhat sideways, (laughs) and there may be another AI on the prowl.
0: Ana, does that about sum it up? There are some double crosses, as I mentioned. Uh, Yes. And this book is so noir. Like, it's not a mystery, but it feels like a noir... Book or I think movie? It, I will say this, in the setup, is like he's mystery. like the private eye. Yeah. He's like the jaded private eye. There is a yeah, femme fatale. Yeah. Like there is right. a mystery at the end, at the middle of it too. Yeah. It's not a murder mystery, but there is a mystery. No,
1: but there's a mystery as to like what is you do like. Wait, 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 wait. It's not a yeah. It's not a who done it, but it's like more of a why done it. Yes, and that you don't find out really until the very end. So, and that's and I, that's and awesome.
0: I fucking loved it, man. Like yeah. and it, yeah. you know what? We've been discounting the plot. I mean, I think the there is a plot. And oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. it is interesting, like they do globe trot, and that gives Gibson yeah. a chance to talk about what this world really looks like. His world building has been discounted a little bit by some critics. I think it's really, really? good. Yeah, oh, I mean, fuck
1: them, fuck those critics. Seriously, <laughs> the world building is fucking amazing. No, I, I refuse to accept this. It, it's a
0: very kind of like comic book store guy uh, criticism, which is that, well, how okay. did things get to be that way? And like, what about this war that he doesn't mention? Who's in it? And oh, for Christ's I would say okay, that yeah. on that level, right. The history of the world we're in is pretty fuzzy. Fine. Yeah. But the actual yeah. world is, is seamless. Real. It yes. is Agreed. completely imaginable. And you are mm-hmm. there. Once again, yeah. kind of incredible that he yeah. puts you in a space that is not real. Yeah. You're able that, to imagine it.
1: But that honestly becomes real. Because yeah. So we, we should say- My answer to this question of how is this science fiction different from all other science fictions? I think with the possible exception of Asimov, Gibson is the sci-fi writer who actually helped create the reality that he was describing on the page, you know, and, and by that, by the way, I'm not just talking about the sort of coining of cyberspace. I think it's the hacker ethos more generally. It's just this notion of it's the weirdly romanticizing. It's the cowboy. The hacker. Yeah, it's the cowboy. Um, the idea that what you're doing is like somehow subversive, which again, anyone who's read a real hacker would know that that's not entirely accurate, but nonetheless, like it's a powerful feel to it. And and that's what this book manages to pull off.
0: And he borrows, you know, perhaps only subconsciously the idea of the internet as a final frontier as it were, right. yeah. as a frontier with a kind of frontier justice. And mm-hmm. people, the, the guns for hire and yeah. there being a looseness to the law that wouldn't be true elsewhere. Uh, you know, he literally sets it in a, in a frontier town in terms yeah. of the orbital,
1: right? Right. In space. Let's put it this way, like Anonymous or WikiLeaks or any kind of sort of hacker collective that actually exists in real life. Not that hard to imagine them existing in this book.
0: Way I, I think it. you're right about the hacker ethos and the self-identity yeah. is cool. I, I mentioned that before. And I, I do yeah. think it's really important that he provided, mm-hmm. and I don't know how he'd feel about this, but he almost provided the marketing framework. For yeah. it. Mm-hmm. The, the, which is
1: weird too. Cause like, I, I'm not, I'm sure he's ambivalent about that. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
0: Let's talk more about yeah. the characters, Dan.
1: Okay. Let's, let's get to them. Um, honestly, on the reread, the characters that's, the character that stood out to me the most is weirdly the AI. It's Wintermute. And and again, maybe if we had read this two years ago, I'd have a different reaction. But in a world where chat GPT is a big deal, where you've got various letters warning, hey, this AI might thing might get out of control, it was legitimately amazing to read the character Wintermute in which Gibson takes great pains, and Wintermute takes great pains to emphasize, to Case, I'm not actually a person, you know, I am an artificial intelligence. You, you're trying to read me like a person, and that's not the way I'm hardwired. And I just, I, I loved that. I mean, it was, a, it was accurate and and entirely appropriate. And so, I, you know, in some ways, my favorite character was the AI.
0: Yeah, I, let's talk about Wintermute for for a minute. That way, yeah. I agree that the trick that he pulled off was to show how a collection of predictions right. can look like a personality.
1: Right. Or even a large, yeah. I mean, in some ways, the same way that ChatGPT, the large language sort of, you know, algorithm makes it seem more... Fluent than it Which actually Which is, is a
0: form yeah. of a predictive engine, right? Like to, right. Yeah. when you win the large language, you know, array or whatever, like what that does is give you mm-hmm. the percentages of what kinds of words and what kinds of phrases show up when and what the most yeah. accurate reaction would be to any given combination of words and phrases. So yeah. Yeah. you're just playing out of large data sets, right? Like you're just predict, right. you're just trying to match up what would, what has happened before. Yeah. Into what is happening now, and and I, one of the great,
1: sorry, one of the great things about the the character is that there are various times where Runimute says, "Well, wait a minute, this didn't go the way I was expecting it to. Like this, I wasn't predicting this." And and again, it just comes back again and again where Runimute says, no, "No, no, I'm just predicting what things are going to happen. If they don't, then I've got to adjust." It, it it again, it's a believable AI,
0: is the way I would put it. And I got real interested in thinking about it as a self interested program rather than a yeah. person, right? Like right. It, it is simply. Programmed to continue to exist in a, a Darwinistic way. And, and th- to
1: exist in a, in a, to aspire to a greater existence than it currently right, has. Right. Yeah. Or
0: success or replicating yeah. itself or however, when you put yeah. it, a long, longevity. And yeah. I think one of the things that Gibson is investigating in this novel, to the extent he's in, in, you know, consciously investigating, I, I, re- I do believe him, like he was just writing a fun book, right? Like yeah. he, he, there's not a lot of like, and I'm going to investigate the meaning of artificial intelligence, but he does <laughs> like a lot of authors, like this is what's in the air and this is what he's interested in.
1: The way I would put it is this is a much less pretentious piece of art than the Matrix is.
0: Oh my God. Yes.
1: It's so much less pretentious like he's, and w- better yeah. as a result. I would actually. Yeah. Like and
0: when I say was. he's interested in, I do think like there, are th- these are thoughts that occur to him. Like he's just right. not like, and I'm going to write a novel investigating. But yeah. when you think about it, one of the things that is contrasted here is what is the difference between a quote unquote self-interested program and a human being? Yes, like if human beings yeah. are a collection of predictable actions and a collection of mm-hmm. information and a collection of plans that don't always work out mm-hmm. and a, an entity that is programmed, quote unquote programmed to to sustain itself, to replicate, to you know continue mm-hmm. to exist, how are those things different?
1: And by the way, he also does that in the character of Dixie Flatline, yeah. who is the sort of construct of the dead sort of hacker mentor. And again, Gibson nails this of this is someone who's a personality, but there's limits to it, you know, where he repeats himself. I again, I love that.
0: I was going to talk about this later, but I, since you mentioned it, I'll, I'll, I'll at least go into it a little bit now, which is I yeah, on the question of who is human in this right. book. Dixie Flatline is more human than Wintermute.
1: Yes, absolutely. Agreed.
0: Because he has, even though he is also a collection of predictions and a collection of information, right. for one thing, he has a wish to die. Yes. Which actually is a thing that makes him human. <laughs> like, he is Weirdly, unhappy yeah. in his existence.
1: Right. He doesn't like the fact that he's just a construct. Exactly. Right.
0: Yeah. So mm-hmm. he is he is more human than the Tessir Ashpools.
1: Yes. Which, again, I I, I like Lady Three Jane in the sense of it was a truly bizarre character. And not, like... I, I, I haven't watched the show, but like I felt like it towards the end. It's like, oh, so we're now merging with Succession. I get it. Okay. That's, you know.
0: <laughs> yeah, my, I haven't watched Succession either. I'm kind of like, I think I've told my story. Like I, I didn't watch Game of Thrones until I had like a weekend where I wanted to not interact with the world. Ah, <laughs> uh, fair enough. <laughs> so I'm like, maybe something will happen that I'll be like, I need to stay inside for three yeah. days and I'll wrap child Succession. Yeah. Uh, I also love the Rastafarians. Yes,
1: in, they were great in the
0: book. They are also mm-hmm. very human. They're the, yes. probably the most, quote unquote, what I would say by Gibson's own kind of indications of what human means. Right. They're human.
1: The way I would put it is they're the most human now. Like they're the ones who could most exist in the current world as opposed to the world of Gibson. They, they felt like most like us, if that makes any sense.
0: Yeah. And I, I think the least augmented Right. Yes, exactly. Ganja as an augmentation, I suppose. (laughs) Uh, The least augmented, the most concerned about relationships with each other.
1: Yes. And the most concerned about weirdly saving lives, I guess. Yes, that too. Yes. And even when it doesn't
0: make sense.
1: Yes, exactly. Yes. Agreed.
0: Any other Um, characters you want to talk about?
1: Well, do we want to talk about Molly? Because like Case weirdly, I mean, he's the protagonist. It's actually harder to get a read on him. And I'm, I'll be curious if they do do a filmed version of this. Because I think in some ways that's where the film version might actually add something. It's not that Case is a bad character. It's that I think he's a little more of a blank slate than than your typical protagonist. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: yeah. Although, yeah. I, again, to some degree, Gibson wrote this real fast and for money. Yeah. So it's hard to like be like, and he was exploring, whatever. But I do think that Case is blankness is part of the story to some That's degree. That's fair. But yeah. you could, it is a place where the film or movie, or, or film or movie, Dan, either one. <laughs> uh, <laughs> or TV show. I think we all know the music. difference between a film and a movie.
1: Sure, we have both <laughs> kinds of music, country and Western. Yes, no, no. Uh, yeah.
0: Where a filmic adaptation or a more serial one could have an opportunity to improve. Uh, right. because if you have a talented actor in that role, you can't probably give him more texture, but, but I will Molly, say that I'm going to go to Molly though.
1: Yeah. Let's talk to Molly. I, uh, I was, go ahead.
0: Oh no, Dan, please.
1: No, no, no. I, I was <laughs> Look, maybe, sorry, maybe it's cause I'm a heterosexual man. I don't know. I was much more drawn to Molly just as a fascinating character with in some ways, I think a more interesting backstory.
0: I mean, um, she's a sexy lady. Uh, yes. as i said before it, it one but she's of,
1: a sexy lady with skills she's a That's
0: sexy with skills with a z yeah 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 uh, <laughs> and also tight leather pants sure
1: okay i'm not uh,
0: sure. uh, <laughs> I read another critique of, of this and and gibson's other works that pointed out one of the big advancements in in his writing and it has changed mm-hmm. over okay. the 40 years you know i would hope so been, yeah is his ability to write female characters and yeah. I, that is definitely true. I read the Peripheral series most recently because I enjoy the TV show. and Which has
1: been adapted for Amazon. I'm right, and his main Prime, character yeah.
0: in that is, is a woman, a young woman. Right. And I think, I noticed when I was reading it, I was like, huh, this is actually like a, you know, this feels yeah, very w- like a full person. It doesn't feel like a guy's imaginative, imagined idea of a person.
1: Well, there's no denying, Molly is clearly an archetype. I mean, you yeah. know, in, in the sense of noir, Molly is the... The, I'm
0: going to um, go with femme fatale, Dan.
1: Okay, femme fatale is fine. Although I, but it's funny. I never thought of her as a femme fatale while reading it. I thought of her. It, it's a cross between femme fatale and his girl Friday because Molly never double crosses. I, I, case. I just, I just,
0: keep, keep resisting that. I don't know. She's a bodyguard.
1: She is, but she's the point the is she, like, but femme fatales in oh, double cross. You're right. Okay, okay. Du- double cross okay. and right. Molly had a loyalty to her that I found incredibly, you know. Heartwarming. I you guess. know what and I so, don't
0: like about the Girl Friday is that it implies a, a supportive a role. role. And okay, I that's And I do fair. think yeah. that Molly is a fucking main character, and they oh, no, not do this job without her.
1: Yes, like, okay. We're in a, you we're agreement. You take her out that. of
0: the equation, yeah. and that job oh, no, does no not do happen.
1: Yeah, no, that's that's entirely fair. I guess what I'm trying to say, like Molly, I want you know, like Molly. In contrast to Case, I want to know more about Molly's backstory. I want to know more about Molly. You know, and, and when there's a there's that scene where she's breaking in and like basically telling Case what her backstory is, which is very well done, and you know, again makes me. I, I guess what I'm trying to say is, is, that yes, she's an archetype, and I don't doubt that Gibson has gotten better at writing female characters. This is not a. This is not a misogynist treatment of the character, though. It mm, is a no, really interesting. Yeah, it is that's all just I'm a
0: somewhat say. thinner.
1: It's reductive. It's a little more reductive. Yeah. And yeah, when fair.
0: I did, the biggest question mark I have in this book yes. is when she decides to fuck Case. And I'm just Case. like, Why? Totally fair. Like, yep, you nope, have to that's, admit, it comes yes. out of nowhere. And yes. he is not described as being very attractive. <laughs> and in fact, when I when that happens, like, she just goes straight for his crotch right like yep. he, he just yeah, yeah. it's like literally like they're just talking and she's like i'm gonna zip your pants now
1: <laughs> Anna, i like to say that let's put it this way this is a sign of my maturity between when i read it as a teenager yeah, and when i read it now. That didn't bother when i read it as, when i read it as a teenager i was like oh no it totally makes sense that the hot girl would go for him absolutely totally believable when i'm reading it again i was like wait a minute where did that come from yeah what? yeah, yeah. What? yeah. So, yeah, so it it indicates a sign of my maturity. In fact, okay, I
0: assumed when I was reading it, I'm like, is she getting paid to late? You know, is this, is this must be <laughs>
1: It could be have part been a femme of, fatale. That yeah, might be why you that. Was, femme fatale. My first
0: thought was like, this must be part of the seduction because it makes yeah. no <laughs> sense otherwise. They haven't even really had a conversation. Conversation, like- <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. Nope, fair enough. Totally fair.
0: All right, we can move on. I I think we've covered all. Although Armitage is also, I mean, the characters are all interesting. Like some are more fully drawn than others. But
1: the what the one one thing I will say about Armitage. I, the the one like character trait of him what I which I, that I identified with which is weird is like he just likes large hotel rooms when he's traveling. Yes, like, yes,
0: sure. Damn, <laughs> absolutely down you with also that. Stare totally. at the wall until you're called upon to do something. <laughs>
1: that I don't do, but other than that, Team Armitage is all I'm saying. Like, give me a nice hotel room. I'll you know?
0: say I actually kind of like chain hotels. Like he apparently yeah. does. Like I like okay. to know what I'm getting a lot of the time. I mean, yeah, exactly. I, I, sometimes the, I can. It's the be value more of the brand, but you know. Yeah. All right,
1: Anna. Yeah. I was in Central Asia and, like again, stayed at a Sheraton, stayed at a Marriott, <laughs> and you know that that made it made it bearable.
0: Central Asia, never not, shiny.
1: Do you like how I work that in? I was going to say,
0: Dan. Speaking <laughs> of Central Asia, I have a question yes. for you.
1: Oh, please, please, fire away.
0: Of the many things that are in this book, mm-hmm. is there IR?
1: Anna, I'm still operating on the paradigms that print gave me, and I'm barely print literate. So I might be wrong, but I do believe there is some IR in this book. That said, some of it might be the parts of the book that actually have proven to be the least prescient compared to the sci-fi. So Gibson himself has acknowledged that he sort of erred when he wrote the book, because in the book, the U.S. is broken up. We, we, he talks a lot about the sprawl and Bama, the Boston Atlanta Metropolitan Authority. And, you know, the USSR is not broken up. That obviously came to pass in the real world that said he does reference an awful lot that does sort of feel right he talks about the war there's some sort of war that happens i guess between the united states and russia which is among other things you know leaves armitage's previous personality corto uh, badly scarred he talks about the use of cyber warfare, obviously, and the use of drones. There's a lot of drones in this, which I had forgotten about reading it. And again, something really goddamn prescient that Gibson came up with. There are other references in this book that I had forgotten about. Like It's only like, like throwaway lines, but he does talk about like previous pandemics, and he talks about filtration masks, implying that the environment is not terribly safe. Again, both of those seem pretty cool. Yeah,
0: not cool, but accurate. predictive. Not cool,
1: but predictive. Yes, yeah. exactly. Sorry. And, you know, he talks about organized crime as essentially or organized criminal organizations as being, you know, sort of parastatal entity, which is they feed off of and pervade the state. All of that totally lived in. That said, if there is a screw up or there's, there's if there's a core to the way Gibson thinks about the world, he talks about it. And I want to read this passage a little bit because I do think it, it he actually it's the one time he's very explicit in terms of like sort of the big ideas that you're talking about. He says, power in Case's world meant corporate power. The Zaibatsus, the multinationals that shaped the course of human history, had transcended old barriers. Viewed as organisms, they had attained a kind of immortality. You couldn't kill a Zaibatsu by assassinating a dozen key executives. There were others waiting to step up the ladder, assume the vacated position, access the vast banks of corporate memory. And so in in Gibson's world, corporations matter a lot more than states would be the safe way of putting it. And the truth is is that corporate power is a real thing. we might be talking about that in a second or two, but it is way less enduring than state power. If you want to talk about the sort of half-life of, of even large multinational corporations versus you know actual states, states persist for a lot longer than corporations do. And so it's the one area where, you know,, Again, I actually think this is part of the ethos that, that we talk about that Gibson creates in terms of what the, the future, what Cyberpunk looks like. It is this world in which corporations are always the, you know, incredibly super powerful. And you could argue like it, it's wired into the DNA of Alien the Alien franchise, of Max Headroom, of you know, a- any Blade number Runner. of similarity Yeah, Blade Runner, exactly. But in truth, let's put it this way: the corporations that were most powerful when Gibson wrote Neuromancer are not the most powerful now.
0: Do you want to fight, Dan? Dan, I will be
1: happy to fight you on this. Let's bring it, Ana. Let's hear it.
0: I, I guess my argument would be that we have yet to experience that this is a few. I mean, yes. Describing All science fiction describes the present as well as the future. Yeah. But I think that what Gibson is extrapolating from, and the key phrase perhaps in the passage that you read, is that mm-hmm. old barriers, they'd surmounted old barriers. And yes. I think that the structure of late capitalism and mm-hmm. the ways that governments are changing now allows mm-hmm. for more enduring power for corporations. And the other thing I'll point out is that, mm-hmm. to my mind, that critique of corporations is less about specific corporations mm-hmm. than about the power of corporate entities to control state power
1: so let's put it like this like and, way is and because and
0: because yeah, yeah, yeah. the, the Tassier ash tessier
1: ashbowls Tassier yeah
0: like one of they're able like they see the limitations of corporations traditionally and, and right. decide to live forever Although I
1: I didn't. So if you read that passage, like what happens next is Case makes it clear that the Tessier-Ashpels are different from the corporate power that he's used to dealing with. So that's a whole separate conversation. But the way I would put it is that I, I take your point, and this is a fair one, which is to say maybe individual corporations rise and fall more quickly than states, but corporate power as a category that persists a little more. That's what and I've always.
0: That's what kind of I've always read as as the thing that, that this era and continues to be kind of part of of science. The traditional. I mean, I I take your point. Yeah. And history is on your side.
1: Right. I but it could change. That. That's. But fair. I also
0: think that things change, and we yeah. there the connectivity that mm-hmm. we have in the globe now presents a kind of multinational corporation that we haven't had before.
1: I guess the way I would put it is let's. let's how I do hope
0: I, you're right. I hope you're right. Let
1: me put it this way. Unfortunately, the evidence. I, I let me put it this way. I think the evidence is more on my side. Like take someone oh, like oh, Elon sure. Musk. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, but like take someone like Elon Musk now, who's thought you know who's changed social media in in, in no way for the better. Nonetheless, essentially having to kowtow to the Chinese government, having to genuflect to the Turkish government because otherwise he would get shut out. And this, I guess my point is is that when it comes, you're correct that there are times where corporations can dictate to states what they should do. But when it really comes down to a conflict between state power and corporate power, I will always put my money on the state. That might not necessarily be the best outcome in terms of human welfare. Well, it's until you get to the
0: RoboCop and who has the guns, right?
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, that is really the 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 decide it's it, there is a there is a reference to the power coming from the barrel of a gun in the book oh and that. yeah i believe it's like someone he's like someone once said that power comes oh, from right, the right, end right. of this yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah. <I> like, <laughs> oh that's right. okay yes that's right no, I mean, yeah.
0: and that is the thing that might change everything right is and that is part of the science fiction of this era and yeah moving up until now is that point at which corporations have their own armies then everything changes
1: it's possible. And there are places where, there are parts of the world where that does have a, a glimmer of truth. I think the danger, really? the us wait, 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 the Robert Kaplan's in the also world. G-
0: Guatemala. I don't know. like, <laughs> Yeah, but. Fruit yeah, companies have overthrown no, states, Dan. No,
1: no. <laughs> the fruit company asked the federal government to do this. And then and the, the federal army, government decided right? to so do they, it. So they, yeah, they yeah. co
0: opted co-opted an army. Like, I. Uh, I, I I grant you that extrapolated from history, Mm
1: -hmm. history's on your side. Yeah, but you're right. It could change. That's a a, a fair point.
0: And also, I I hope you are right. I hope you are right.
1: But look at this way I get why Gibson did that. And by the way, I don't mean it's, I don't think it's outdated. I think it's in some ways an unsettled question. I just know the way that history has worked so far. And so I don't think, and I still don't think it's completely accurate, but it could be.
0: And I take all of your points. And I think that. I as much as I like that kind of message, just it you right. know, resonates with me personally,
1: yeah
0: that is not what the world looks like right now. Fair enough. and yeah. we have had we have had a few decades of of this criticism, right. and what we have seen is something more I think like what I've described and is true, which is that corporations do have a kind of power over governments.
1: you know, Anna, speaking of corporations having a kind of power. I have a question for you.
0: Oh, what is it, Dan?
1: Is there a critique of capitalism in this book?
0: Dan, I'm coming in steep, (laughs) fueled by self-loathing, but I can sort a great deal of information and I can sort it very quickly. Mm -hmm. This book has a lot to illustrate about capitalism, I think. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it can be boiled down to a critique exactly.
1: Mm -hmm. Okay.
0: I think he describes a lot of things and extrapolates a lot of things very interesting ways. But I'll get to why I don't think it's necessarily a critique. But he definitely shows the commodification of identity, right? Like literally buying and selling of bodies and body parts. The buying and selling of bodies and body parts to climb further up, like the economic food chain, right? Mm -hmm. The way that literally sells parts of herself, like the augmentations that people have. Mm -hmm. I do think it's interesting, and in that the augmentations are not. There's. I, I was going to sort of save this, but he ha, is prescient about the commodification of dissent,
1: especially,
0: and mm. talking about the hacker ethos. Yeah. But this idea of like, and what can be paradoxical about the hacker identity is the degree to which, oh, we're all so different. We're also punk rock, but we look the same. Like we have this very (laughs) identifiable style (laughs) and the ways that augmentation can actually make you all look alike. Right. (laughs) Like there's even some references to that.
1: Right. We're Uh, all going to buy the same shirt that says question authority.
0: Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Their bodies are literally tools for the ruling class. (laughs) And I I do think that, power it, it, you know centered in, in mega corporations. Like I said, we just talked about that and maybe we'll just agree to disagree. Yeah. I, I think there is something to it. Right. Mm-hmm. I think that Straylight is really interesting as yeah. a museum of conspicuous consumption. Mm-hmm. And that AIs and corporations have more in common than, you know, humans and AIs or humans and corporations.
1: That's fair. Yes, I like that. That's
0: yeah. And this is not so much a critique of capitalism, but something we were talked about before, which is what makes something human. Why are corporations and AIs not human? And I do think Gibson indicates that it's the irrationality of emotions that makes people human. When humans do things that don't necessarily make sense, I don't love and I, rage I, are the two like things that are motivating.
1: Yeah, I, our I don't want to say-
0: characters.
1: I don't want to say... Irrationality bugs me on that point, because emotions can be entirely rational. Like It's not a... I understand okay. why you're saying irrationality. Okay. But I, like,
0: I, 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 you're right. Yeah. Irrational is not the right word, but unpredictable, yeah. maybe? Fair enough, yes. And actually, yes. that's or probably a more accurate word. Even
1: at times moral, actually. But yes, sure. I, entirely fair. Sure. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. I would
0: go with moral. But that, that those yeah. are things that are less easily predicted. Those are things mm-hmm. that are hard for a corporation or for an AI to... Get mm-hmm. their heads around, as it were. Yeah, and that is what makes us human: is yeah. to experience these, maybe experience morality. Maybe because both love and rage come from morality. Although his, I do think it's interesting that his he is fueled by his own self-loathing, and I that's a whole maybe separate episode for us to talk about. Yeah, yeah. yeah but yeah. the and like the testier ash pools are beyond all emotion too, right? Like the th- Lady Three Jane yeah is no longer human her dad yeah. is no longer human
1: mm-hmm.
0: and that emotions can be manipulated
1: that's fair yes which, which winter mute does at times yeah.
0: ultimately unknowable right mm-hmm. yeah now the reason i think that he's not necessarily doing a critique of capitalism mm-hmm. one is i know his twitter feed and he's kind of a, a boomer liberal you know like he's is there there's anything wrong with that. No, yeah, sure. no, 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 no. My literally, no, no. my father is a boomer liberal. I love I love <laughs> so many boomer liberals. Mm-hmm. But the real reason that I kind of land on he's more he he is describing rather than critiquing is an answer he gave in a Paris Review interview when someone just was off the cuff said something about the world of neuromonster being dystopian. Mm-hmm. And he replied, Well, maybe if you're some middle class person from the Midwest it seems dystopian. But if you're living in most places in Africa, you'd jump on a plane to the sprawl in two seconds. Many people Mm -hmm. in Rio have worse lives than the inhabitants of the sprawl. I've always been taken aback by the assumption that my vision is fundamentally dystopian. I suspect that the people who say I'm dystopian must be living completely sheltered and fortunate lives. The world is filled with much nastier places than my inventions, places that the denizens of the sprawl would find it punishment to be relocated to, and a lot of those places seem to be growing steadily worse.
1: I have to admit, I, I did thought not of you, think. Dan. of Dan. Yes. <laughs> Let me put it this way: You're not I boomer, never. But,
0: but that sounds like but, you.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, no, 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 it's correct. I did not think of this novel as dystopian. That would be the way I would put it. I it's it 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 is a description of of what the future could look like. And by the way, there are parts of it that are clearly very disturbing, but there are parts of it that are utterly delightful. You know, the the hopscotching across the globe, the 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 different cultures, you know, uh, mixing together. The Rastafarians. I, I, there were parts of this that I just truly loved, and were fascinating to me. It
0: is interesting to think about what dystopian even means. Yeah, yeah. It's not the first word that comes to mind, right? But if you said it, I wouldn't disagree with it. And I was trying to think about Glade Runner too. If like I would, if someone said that's dystopian, I would be like, yeah. I mean, I guess again, I wouldn't fight them over it.
1: Yeah, but it's but there's a dazzling quality to it that is. It, that is tough to ignore and also and I, that's how i felt the, about this. the
0: day-to-day existence of people yeah like are they suffering right. but that's maybe not the best way to think about things because there's lots of authoritarian states where people are not necessarily suffering on a day-to-day basis true yeah so anyway so gibson i think has a curiosity about the outcomes of late capitalism more than he's like stop don't do it ah. yeah, <laughs> all right dan
1: You've got mail. Welcome.
0: (laughs) You've got mail. You've got
1: mail, yes.
0: (laughs) It's time for Discordant Notes. Dan, you're the one who is responsible for fetching our Discordant Notes.
1: (laughs) Yes, these are questions from our patrons that are asked on the Discord that we feel like we should answer when we are talking about the particular subject matter in hand. The first question comes you from- been, Doug... You
0: landed that, Dan. Congratulations. <laughs> you landed you, that sentence.
1: It was, a, it was a near-run thing whether yeah, I was yeah, yeah. do that. Yeah, yeah, All right. Uh, the first question comes from Doug O, which is, what does an Ano Sendai deck look like in our imagination? Um my answer is, weirdly, I have, like, I remember an old laptop that I had that was just, like, the sleekest, blackest looking thing that I think I've ever owned. And that's what I think in terms of, of this, I guess. But I that might be my the limits to my imagination.
0: I think of a couple things. One is a Casio keyboard.
1: Ooh, okay. Uh,
0: I don't think of it having a view screen.
1: Oh, yeah, maybe not. Because you're jacking in. You don't, Yeah. You know, I it's, it's also think
0: of a mixing board. Like a, oh, that's good. That's um, good. Especially like I had a mixing board in my earliest podcast days when that was something that I had to do. Oh wow! And it was a pretty cool thing. It was like the size of like.
1: Knowing that you had a mixing board on it, this explains a lot. Actually, I I now because like uh, <laughs> listeners, you might not know this, but before we record. There's a lot of tinkering that's going on on Anna's side of things. And I always feel like a little weird because like I'm not doing anything, but like, you know, she cares very much about the sound mix. And now you know why.
0: And it it was like the size of, I want to say a little bit of an oblong trivial pursuit box. It was like, it, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know why that's the thing or really a, a very long hardback book. It's hard to describe. Okay. So like, like an oblong about a, as thick as a really heavy paperback.
1: Got it. Okay.
0: And it it had like it was matte silver, with mm. some digital on it and some d- dials d- dials and like levers. So I think it's that mix of dials and levers and digital that mm-hmm. I think about for the deck. You know. Okay,
1: that sounds good. All right, our other question uh, for this week comes from Carrie, who asks: So, do we buy the whole meat puppet brothels? And Molly wanting to tune out the memories of being, working for the Meat Puppet Brothel. Honor, do you want to handle this one first? I've got my answer, but.
0: Interesting that he predicted that show that we, Severance, that's the show. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Obviously, this is a, a much more literal, you know, work wage slave situation it's actually
1: funny because i m- what my mind went to was gamer
0: oh yeah that too of course which yeah, we yeah. were very upset by i, I yes. also am upset by this right. i mean i think this is something that perhaps i'm not going to say like i don't want to say only men would think about as being a quote-unquote solution but like hmm the idea that you just walk away. She has she has a line where like it's great. You just walk away sore.
1: Right. Yeah. No, I remember <laughs> that line. Yes. Which again, my teenage self was like, yeah, totally believable. You know.
0: Yeah. Because you know what? Sometimes, like, if you that can that can feel very violating. I imagine, and some that, have some sense yeah. of. So, I mean, but that, but you know, sex work is work. And that is what, if if that, if you look at it from kind of like that point of view and a body autonomy Mm -hmm. point of view, in a weird way, that's body autonomy.
1: Yeah. So the way I kept thinking about it was this was believable for me for Molly because Molly saw the sex work as a means to an end. This was literally just her raising money for the augments that she would need to do the job that she clearly wanted to do. So it was entirely believable to me that she'd be like, okay, I really don't want to do this or have any memory of it. I will... Try not to mem- you know remember it. That totally made sense to me. I don't I, for a different kind of sex worker probably not. And I also, yeah, I'm just going to leave it there. There, yeah. Probably <laughs> let's just I could leave there. it. Let's just yeah. Let's just leave that. There. It's a yeah. disturbing
0: thing. I remember it was yeah. profoundly disturbing to me in Gamer, and this was less so, I think, because Molly.
1: Although this is this is where Gamer is slightly more different art, because autonomous character. Gamer was different, to be fair, because it was clear that the the meat puppets, as it were, were conscious of what was happening in a way that this would not be in, in, as, in the way that Carrie was asking.
0: And well, also, the, the, I, not that I wanted more detail about this situation, yeah, yeah. but uh, the question would be, who's controlling the meat puppet? Is it, is it like Severance, where you're still kind of a version of yourself? That was or- what I assumed. So
1: I, I was assuming that it was someone having sex with Molly and that it wasn't like anyone jacking into Molly as a like or even like as a robot her, right?
0: or like something because right. like yeah, obviously yeah. the yeah. disturbing part of gamer was that someone else is controlling exactly. you
1: yeah which so it's I, and I I brought that up so I apologize it's I don't think it's the I don't think they're quite parallel situations I think gamers no. is in many ways more disturbing no I don't think so but it's, yeah.
0: a, it's a proper callback
1: yeah. yeah okay all right
0: Dan we have the most important question
1: mm-hmm.
0: of our podcast here this particular episode which is is this canon or is this fodder?
1: Not only is this canon, I, I honestly think this is the best novel we've read to date. I mean, that would be the way I would put it. Maybe you the know what? I, I,
0: the Gone World.
1: Gone World, I liked, and the Octavia Butler Kindred, oh, yeah. which still Kindred still haunts me. But but in terms of like influence and oh. canon stat, this is just fantastic in a way that God knows Asimov wasn't in a way that Orson Scott Card was pretty good, but not quite on this level. This is great.
0: It's interesting to think about it in comparison with Kindred. Obviously, they're-
1: They're very different novels.
0: Not on the same planet, as it were.
1: Right, right. I
0: wish that Kindred was influential as this. That's fair. I do think in terms of this is the most influential novel we've read. Yeah. And it is the- piece of cannon well, fodder that definitely stands up the best i mean yes
1: that's the way i, I like sort of i
0: really like i mean the ursula k Le Guin was very good very oh, true. very good
1: yeah, yeah.
0: It, it did not make me this is sort of almost embarrassing like it did not thrill me like this right. did. like this no, is this a, fucking a great read like this yeah. is something that like you go to your friend like well for me like i really did love gone world and gone world is a book that i'm an evangelist for like when people are like i don't want to read i don't know what to read have you read gone world this i don't Imagine doing that for because everyone has read it or, right. or read it. but this is the kind of book that if you if it was new out, I can imagine oh, yeah. it's sort of a lapel grabbing book. Like I'd be like, you have to read this
1: the 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 parallel this is Tolkien level is the way I would almost put it like not too, <laughs> I, I'm not kidding. like it wouldn't surprise me. I if know like what you
0: mean I know what you mean? a
1: century from now, people will talk about this in the same breath that they talk about Tolkien. It's the same kind of it, it's it's both canonical,
0: influential so and good better. Oh
1: yeah, that's fair. That's like
0: I—I I mean, I only—I only, I only laughed because I think that Tolkien is as influential. Yes. Yeah. Or, but, like, for instance, when we get a little further out here, there's some things I, I would like to read aloud from this book, and I'm not sure there's bunches of stuff I would read aloud from Tolkien. That's just for fair. the pleasure of reading it.
1: Totally fair. Totally. All right. All right.
0: Hey. Oh! I guess we're jacking in. It's we're jacking. dealing with the ice. Checking running into the ice, the ice. Oh my God, what's the, the ice? ice. Oh. <clears throat> it's the debris field where we talk about the stuff we didn't already get a chance to talk about. Dan, you go first.
1: You know what? I'm just going to read what I want to say. I have like
0: stuff that I just want to read too. <laughs> I'll,
1: uh, this is the obvious <laughs> one, but like, is there a better first line in a sci-fi novel than the sky above the port was the color of television tuned to a dead channel?
0: Anna shakes her head.
1: I remember, I still remember now reading that first line and going, holy fuck, that's a great line. And although Gibson is himself has pointed out, it's a it's an utterly Gen X line, because if you were like a millennial or got Gen Z, your memory of static, just as a like static television is probably non-existent, but just. But it still
0: works. And he points this out because your imagination fills in what that means. And there is sort of an idea of what a blank channel would be. It may look like static for a zoomer, but it'll, it'll look like something. It's a great line though. Yeah. I just have lines highlighted throughout uh, a particular one that resonated with me. He'd watched her personality fragment calving like an iceberg splinters drifting away. And finally Hmm. he'd seen the raw need, the hungry armature of addiction.
1: (laughs) Is that a description of Linda Lee? Yeah. 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 Good stuff, man. That is good. So one thing for me, which is again, you, as you you're correct when you point out that like there's not a lot in this book about how you get from now to where the novel is set, but it was interesting. Like the one time there was a reference to like cool concepts at the time that that Neuromancer was written is when he references like you know Clint Eastwood and Bruce Lee, and I don't know. It was like there there wasn't much of an anchor, but I like that little anchor reference to like oh, okay connecting it to, to stuff that I know that was good.
0: We talked a little bit about the Rastafarians and yeah. I guess I just want to reiterate that it's such a cool kind of Philip uh, on the whole thing that that's who he pegs as having yeah. an autonomous, somewhat utopian society <laughs> and they're great characters. They're mm. individual characters and they make total sense in this strange place.
1: I also loved how the founding Rastafarian's, didn't speak Rastafari, that they were like, they, yeah, like well, one says, from, I'm like, from Jersey. L.A. What? Yeah, 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 exactly. LA, that's right. Yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. yeah, that was good. <laughs> I love that too.
1: Speaking of lines, I, I did like the line, you can't let the little pricks generation gap you. You know, was a way. That's <laughs> what <laughs> way I saying. don't let the young people like get, get you down. Like I I did like that. So yeah.
0: It does occur to me that a lot of the lines that I liked, I, I do think we mentioned this before, his description of the use of drugs and also of addiction and withdrawal. Uh-huh are really good. Mm-hmm. I am not surprised he's done this fair amount of drugs. It sounds like yeah. one of those people that can actually, there are drug tourists out there. There are people who use drugs and don't. Someone who do can things.
1: use them recreationally. Yeah. And it sounds like that's yeah. who
0: he is. But one of his, of the when the, the speed that he can actually use, that case can use wears off. I think mm-hmm. this is it where he says 20 minutes. Oh no, this is actually the description of space flight. Oh, okay. but I really loved it. So mm-hmm. not drugs, space flight. Fair enough. 20 minutes, then gravity came down on him like a great soft hand with bones of ancient stone. Ooh, that is good. Like, there's just like one line. Like, there's just, it's that's what feels noir about it, too. Like, they're, they're lines like Raymond Chandler lines.
1: Yeah. Last thing I will say, which is, again, it, what's interesting is that this is a truly globalized novel. Like, the, 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 I think, you know, they're in Japan, they're in Paris, they're in Istanbul, they're in space eventually. And, you know, this it was it was great to see sort of all these different cultures sort of mishmash together. There's various like sort of corporate brands you hear in terms of cigarettes or alcohol or or what have you. And also, I have to say, I was actually in the Istanbul airport last oh, week, Central so,
0: Asia.
1: Yeah, well, not Central Asia, but on the connecting flight back. But I was in okay. the Istanbul airport, and I was thinking, oh man, it'd be great if the, those row of, uh, of of payphones actually started ringing. That would be creepy as hell. And again, it that is actually that didn't age well but like the like that is cinematic like you could imagine someone walking and like the phones ringing as they're coming by like i I want to see that adapted
0: yeah one of the notes i have to myself that we already kind of went over is uh, you can see why people have thought this would make a good movie
1: oh yeah Yeah. it
0: is it feels very filmable yes yes (laughs) absolutely all right, Dan, so we have coming up, we have our part two of our Yellow Jackets mm-hmm. analysis slash recap. Nemoa, not Nemoa, because that's... M- Nimona. Nemona. Nemona, not yep. Jason Nimoma. Momoa.
1: No. Different. We, we can do him as well if you want. Yeah, you know, I, big fan. Fast X, he looks good. Yeah.
0: It does. And what else do we have coming up, Dan? Annalie Newitt's going to be on the show.
1: Yep, yep.
0: And we're talking about her book and also How to Lose a Time War how to win how to lose lose. this
1: is how you lose the time war i believe this is how you
0: lose the time war. very different from winning one or so i gather
1: (laughs) yes anyway Um, we have a
0: lot of really interesting stuff coming up become a patron patreon.com slash space the nation join our discord it's a really cool place to be
1: it's a bunch of cool people yeah and until then keep this channel open for more